Okay, welcome to Eat Scripture Podcast. Gina and I are coming back on with our podcast now. Uh, Ehud is what we're going to look at. That's a name that's not real familiar to a lot of people. It's in Judges, actually. Judges chapter 3, verse 12 is what we're going to start with because we happen to be teaching through Judges with a class right now, and so we figured this would be a good way for them to keep up when they wouldn't be able to be there and also... Just a good way to share some great information about a book that seems really strange. Um, God uses a lot of people in this book as people who we wouldn't normally think of as God's first choice to pick somebody to save his people. And yet, that's exactly what happens. Um, Ehud is even one of those characters, not because he seems morally ambiguous in any way, like uh, well, several maybe. of the characters, although there is some, there are, yeah, there, <laughs> there are some people questions. who are fairly upset with him, but mm-hmm. we can talk questions. about that as we go. But. Uh, but nevertheless, we will start with him, even <clears throat> though he's the second judge, really, that we have introduced. Othniel would be the first judge we have introduced in the book, chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Um, but we're not really going to look at him. We'll we'll allude to things that happened back in the first couple of chapters in Judges as we go Honestly, through. Honestly, we're just the, starting where we are. So yep. um, maybe at some we point are. we'll go back and do those first couple of chapters and, and yeah. include Othniel. Yeah. But we're starting where we are. So Yeah, so we're starting with the head. So here <clears> it is, this story of this. This guy who uh, is chosen by God to uh, lead his people out of the oppression that they have come under. And, uh, and of course, it starts by telling us just why they've come under this oppression uh, in verse 12. So in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So right there, it just starts out by telling us, like you said, um, like I've heard you say before, babe, that um, that the people of Israel right there in the beginning did what was evil in the sight of the Lord is just something that we actually hear several times uh, as we go through these stories of judges, um, and that's why these bad things take place. If you read that as we go through, if you come to a part that says that, uh, Actually, you really should have, it'll it'll be several times, it's like a formula in here, mm-hmm. and you should really perk your ears up and go, oh, something's about to happen. Yeah. Um, because... And, yeah, and it becomes almost expected when we see it, doesn't it? Like we're we're never surprised. Oh, the people did evil, and what what was evil inside of the Lord? We think, oh well, of course they did. That's what they seem to do over and over. Uh, in chapter three, verse seven, it says the exact same words. In chapter four, verse one, it says the exact same words. Um, and then again in chapter six, verse one, it says the exact same words. You're so right, just formulaic. It becomes this thing we're used to seeing. The people are definitely going to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yes, and and when they do, then eventually they seem to they get themselves into trouble. And in this case, it even says that the Lord. I think it says that in more than one case, but mm-hmm. it's oh, yes. pretty obvious that God is bringing um, tragedy on them. Yes. And they're being taken over by another nation, usually. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how he's getting their attention, though. Mm-hmm. And 
then they cry out to him when they finally realize oh we need God mm-hmm. they cry out to him and when they do then God sends a judge to deliver them yes the problem is that the judge will deliver them and they will have peace for a little while but when that judge dies and they don't remember him anymore they're back to doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord and we're going to see that as we go through so in judges it's just this constant cycle that happens people do evil God brings in an oppressor or a enemy who conquers them takes them over in some way then the people suffer under that for a while then they cry out to the Lord and he hears their cries and he brings in a judge who can rescue and save them but then it isn't that long into the future before they're doing the exact same thing again so which is a real lesson for us I think too because that's kind of the way we are yeah it's people it's the story of people but the thing is that well we'll get to that at the end I just uh, there's something different for us, of mm-hmm. course. Yes, obviously and there they is. Had, they had judges who lived and died, mm-hmm. and we have the ultimate rescuer judge, rescuer judge, savior, yep. savior. Yep. Uh, who never dies. Never dies. So we should yep. not be forgetting. That's right. Um. So the Lord, like you said, Lord strengthened Eglon uh, in the king of Moab against Israel in verse twelve. And then in verse 13, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites. Now, he's the king of Moab. He gathers Ammonites and Amalekites and went to defeat Israel. Right. And that says a lot right there. I think if you're not used to reading your Bible this way, if you're going through these podcasts with us, just remember, we think every word means something. And there's so much. Yes. Every detail. um, it's exciting because all of these things that are written here are not just a litany of history and mm-hmm. things for you to that you can't ever know, words you can't pronounce or right. whatever for no reason. Yes. They really are here for a reason and they tell us more than the text on the surface actually says. Mm-hmm. So Moab, um, Moab and Ammon where these people came from were the two sons born to Lot and his daughters. Remember when Sodom and Gomorrah happened? If you, and if you don't remember the story, don't worry. But um, Sodom and Gomorrah was this awful place. God brought judgment. and Genesis chapter 19. Yes, you can go back and read about it. And Lot and his family fled to the hills and because God saved them. His wife looked back and she died. She became a pillar of salt. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's off with his two daughters. And they get worried that they're never going to have any kids. And so they get their father drunk and get pregnant by him. And their two sons are Ammon and Moab. Right. So if you are a person who's really paying attention and know these things, then you're going to, when you hear the Moabites and the Ammonites, you're going to, your mind is going to go back to who these people are and their origins Mm -hmm. and that they are enemies of God. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the Amalekites, the same way, they were the first people in Exodus 17, let's see, 17, 8 through 12, that uh, attacked the Israelites after they came into um, the land, after they 
after they actually crossed the rescued from egypt and crossed the red sea yes delivered them and these people attacked them and they have been enemies ever since Mm -hmm. and actually as eric has said they're going to be a thorn in the side of the israelites yes all the way through yes and just continue to show up and be terrible thorns even all the way to haman in the book of esther is actually kin to the amalekites um we won't make all those connections right now but i mean these people just keep on um, being those who come against god's people and really the old testament is so exciting when you start reading it closely like this because you start getting those connections Mm -hmm. and so you start to see oh there's like a lot going on here that if you're just reading it and kind of thinking why do i have to know all these names it doesn't have the same import so right um anyway so we're seeing that god has lined up some very important enemies here Mm -hmm. to go against the people yes and like you i've heard you point out before um even the fact the fact that moab and ammon are here isn't like a condemnation of every moabite every single ammonite in the future um ruth herself is a moabitess and so if we just looked in her book uh which is only uh the very next book in our bibles uh we would find a moabitess who god loves and who god takes care of and who come, becomes a part of his people and and even gets incorporated into the line of David, thus also the line of Jesus. So um, very much a part of God's, God's people. grace is so and, big. And yes. So these sweeping, like we say, sweeping oh, these generalizations. Are, yes. In general, these people are the enemies of God. But does God have grace for the individuals? Of sure. course he does. Right. And, um, so we're going to see that several times in Scripture as we go through. We will see God saving people who don't seem like they should be the people who should be saved. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Okay, so sure enough, um, this Eglon is strengthened by the Lord, again, by the Lord. Not because he got strong on his own. That wasn't what happened. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord was the one who strengthened Eglon against his people, and that's why he's able to come in and oppress them and take them over. And in verse 14, the people of Israel serve Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. So that's a pretty long right. period of time that they are suffering under this And the Moabite story before king. that, it was they were under oppression for eight years. Mm-hmm. So this is a decade longer before they finally cry out to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah. it may tell how their hearts are becoming more hardened. Right. And Possible. Not realizing that. their need for God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, just real quick, it says here in, before we get past this, that they took possession of the city of Palms, mm-hmm. these um, enemies. Yep. And I just want to point out that that is Jericho. Yes. And so that goes along with a lot of what we've been talking about this Jericho was the first city when they came into the land Mm -hmm. that they were, um, that God, God took for them. Mm -hmm. They just marched around with trumpets, but, um, God gave them this city. Yes. And it was a big fortified city and it was very important. So when we hear Jericho, which is the same as the city of Palms, um, we should think, oh my goodness, they had, this is the first city they took possession of. Yes. And now they've lost it. Yes, 
Absolutely. So we're going backwards. Even the things that mm-hmm. the parts of the promised land that they have actually taken possession of, yes. they are now losing. So right. we're seeing a real it's sad. Yes, a real regression yeah. in the way that Israel is acting and living, um, definitely. And, and that's, yeah, terrible thing to see the city of Palms, Jericho, has been taken back by the people of the land. Um, and if you want to see exactly where city of Palms and Jericho are equated, you can find that in Deuteronomy 34.3 and Second Chronicles 28.15. Okay. Uh, so... That's where that's the state of the people right now. Then we get to verse 15. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've never heard of this Ehud before, and suddenly God has raised him up, and it tells us a few things about him. Um, but one of the most interesting things I mean it's not unusual in scriptures for uh, the, the text to tell us who this person is a son of mm-hmm. or what tribe he belongs to that's fairly common but for it to tell us that he's a left handed man mm-hmm. is interesting Yeah, we don't have yeah. if you think about it just think for a minute how many people in the bible do we actually have a physical description of right so you may have a picture in your head because yeah we have flannel boards from our childhood (laughs) and bbs and stuff but we don't actually have descriptions of very many people in the bible physical and so when we do get a physical description Mm -hmm. like that ehud is a left-handed man Mm -hmm. or that saul was very tall yes or that um, correct you know, or Eli that in this case, fat. Eglon is really fat. Right. We're going to we'll, find out. We'll find out that Eglon, this king, is fat. Eli was fat. Yeah, in the, Eli in the uh, story of First Samuel. Yep. So, when we see those things, yeah, they just are important facts that maybe we should stop and think about for just a minute. Yeah, so, it's trying to tell us something more right. than just give us a physical picture in our head. Why uh, tell us so he's a left-handed more. man? That's yeah. weird. Yeah, uh, so, for some reason I'm supposed to think, wow, left-handed, huh? That means something. Yeah. Uh, and so, so maybe if you're left-handed, you think, oh, he's like me. <laughs> and maybe we ought to go ahead and, uh, yeah, maybe you would. Maybe if you're left-handed, you're like, hey, a guy like me. Um, and because really there aren't many left-handed people mentioned uh, very often. And so, in this case, though, uh, certainly this left-handed person stands out because it's such a difference. Um, We'll go ahead and say a little bit more about that. In the Hebrew text, it actually says, unable to use the right hand. That's what it says in Hebrew, that he was unable to use his right hand. So, how is that meant to be taken? We're not 100% sure. Um, I think we're going to see in this case, um, this disabled in the right hand, uh, that's why we, why he's considered left-handed, called left-handed, whatever. That's why it's translated left-handed. Um, is 
he had he didn't have use for in some way of his right hand which would have been the primary hand to use and we find out through scripture many times that being on the right hand is the best place to be and things that are associated with the and right hand that doesn't hand mean are, if you're left-handed there's anything wrong with you no it has nothing to do <laughs> just with that scripture just yes we're taking from just spiritual ways of talking about things um, but it doesn't mean that if you're left-handed, you're a bad person, for goodness sake, no. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, that would be that would be taking it the wrong way. The idea behind it is that there are just different ways of, of talking about things, looking at things, different colloquialisms that are used. And God uses this one when he's talking about the right hand. It's a good thing. Um, and here, the left hand is something that makes us question a little bit. We can't help but think, huh. Well, that's different. Uh, I'm not used to hearing that kind of thing. I wonder what's going to happen. Actually, in this case, it's a really great thing that he's prominently left-handed and God uses him powerfully because of his prominent left hand. Uh, but the very fact that we see here at first that he's disabled in his right hand is an interesting thing because now we're really curious why we need to know that. Right. And I, I tend to think that he probably did have some disability with his right hand, mm-hmm. partially because of what we're going to, we'll allude to it as we go forward, but I think um, it helps us understand a little bit more of what's coming. But um, then the people of Israel sent tribute to him, yeah. by him, to Eglon, the king of Moab. So, yeah. in other words, they had to pay taxes to this king that mm-hmm. they were yes of being oppressed by and i tend to think from the way this is written that ehad was one of the ones who regularly took that yes that was his job i don't think that the people knew he was their deliverer yet no i don't think this was some special thing that happened maybe ehad knew <laughs> maybe god had told him but i don't think these people knew so they send him along with some other Men delegates, yeah, to get to take this tribute, yeah, which wasn't just a check, so they had to. It was several <laughs> of them having right. to carry, you yeah. know, silver Donkeys and gold. And, yeah, carrying your silver, your gold, or whatever you're taking in tribute to this foreign king to keep him from hurting you even more, coming right. in and wiping out more of your people. And so. wouldn't it make sense that the king would kind of appreciate that you wouldn't send your strong, um, you know able-bodied people, but that you might send some people who, for instance, maybe had a disability. Mm-hmm. So Ehud may Could have be. been chosen to take that because he was safe for the king. Could be. Could be that the king, yeah, felt safe in his presence. I mean, there's not a reason to fear Ehud because you look at him and you see that he's disabled in his right hand. There's something about his right hand that's obviously unusable something about the way he holds his arm i mean this is you know it's it's not this is not out of the question at all which we'll see as we continue through the story that it even seems somewhat likely that that's the case that you would look at ehud and say oh he's got a paralyzed right hand he can't use his right hand right Right. arm whatever so um then we get let in on a little secret (laughs) a couple little secrets but that ehud has already made for himself. He made his own sword with two edges. Yeah. Tells us it's a cubit in length, which is probably 
it was probably about the length of his thigh, I would think. Right. And uh, he put it on his right thigh under his clothes. So I guess from what I have read that um, normally they would carry, if they had a sword, they might carry it on their left thigh so that Mm -hmm. they could reach over with their right hand and grab it easily. Correct. But because he's left-handed, he put it on his right thigh, which might be unexpected and not as easily detected. Right. So um, he's made for himself this two-edged sword. Yes, he made it for himself. This is a person who makes for himself the very sword that he's using, not something we hear about in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I don't know any other place we hear about this in Scripture where a person makes their own sword. It's very interesting. And the fact that it's double-edged. We just don't hear about that. Or those words. There may be, for all I know, a lot of double-edged swords in Scripture, but they're not described that way. The, the swords, there's just a few times in Scripture where a sword is described as double-edged, and this is one of those times. And another one of those times that may be coming to your mind really quickly is in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. But Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 is one of those verses that comes to mind for a lot of people when they hear about double-edged swords. Because we, those of us who may have grown up in church have heard this, uh, heard this verse quoted a lot. And so it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's talking about the word of God. It equates the word of God to a double-edged sword. The word of God is a double-edged sword. And and actually, if you continue reading there, it's judgment. And Mm -hmm. it has a lot to say about this very passage, actually, but yeah. um, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about that, but go read that yeah, and think about this passage in Judges. Yes. And it's, uh, the way it, you're right. That context is really one of judgment. It's mm-hmm. talking about the word of God as a two-edged sword in a context of judgment. Well, that's what we have here in Judges. This mm-hmm. context is a context of judgment. Ehud is very unexpected person to be carrying a sword because his right hand doesn't even work. Uh, and yet he is carrying it in a way that he can use it with his left hand, which would be out of the norm for sure. And so so he made it himself. It's actually made by him. He's going to use it himself. He's hidden it on his person. He's taking it to use it in judgment uh, against this evil king. So and that's there's the, another place in Scripture where there's a two-edged sword mentioned, and it's Revelation 1.16. Where it says, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Wow, who's that? That's Jesus. <laughs> and and I believe someone in class, when we talked about that, really, when we touched on it quickly last time, had talked about that their footnote said something about the sword of judgment. Mm. It was a... So... Yeah, I haven't had time to go back and look that up. But, but like Gina is saying, and there in Revelation chapter one, the sword is coming from his mouth, yes. coming out of his mouth. So what that it's an allusion to the idea that the sword is the word of Jesus God, which comes from his mouth. So in but so it really ties straight into Hebrews chapter four, and then the fact that they're both double edged takes us right back to this passage too, where we're talking about Ehud who makes his own 
It's his. He made it for himself, and it's a double-edged sword, and he's yes. going to use it for judgment. Remember, Jesus said all of Scripture is about him. Yes. So any of these passages we come to, um, we And we, we talked about that in allusions. class and about how we were going to go through um, Judges and, and talk about, like, this, this story in particular, we had talked about we're going to go through and see if there's things in here that make us... Mm-hmm. Uh, that are alluding to Christ. Yes. And so as we finish up, we'll talk about that. But just so those of you who weren't there, if you, um, we'll try to do a podcast that kind of explains that. Um, yeah. Where we're coming from on that. But, okay, so. Um, so in verse 17, like you said, he presents the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. And then it gives us that, another descriptor, another mm-hmm. physical descriptor of somebody, which again, out of the way. It doesn't tell us hair color. It doesn't tell us eye color. It doesn't tell us height. It doesn't tell us about Eglon, anything like that. But what it does want us to know, it says in verse 17, now Eglon was a very fat man. Eglon was a very fat man is how the ESV renders it. Um, what we haven't said about Eglon thus far is, uh, let's talk name meanings for a second here, babe. Eglon means calf. Eglon yes. means calf. So he's a fat calf. Yes, so he's a very fat calf. That's what actually, in my mind, kind of can't help but rolling around here. He's a very fat calf. If I'm a reader uh, of the ancient language, then I'm kind of picking up, maybe I'm picking up on this. Huh, that sounds interesting. Names in scripture, I mean, there are so many instances we could give where they obviously have meaning. um, That just like the church fathers were so big on the idea that names carry with them interpretive meaning uh, for our aid all the time. So, yes. so Ehud whenever... means one, unity, or praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. So we'll see that as it plays itself out here. Yes, yeah. he will become the one he, who brings Israel Even together. Even a funny brings... one, just so y'all can get a little bit... Sometimes it's kind of so fitting and so kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Moab... Mm-hmm. means who's your daddy yeah and if you think about that he's fathered by his grandfather yeah it's such a strange such yeah a strange to name yeah. the kid hmm who's, who's your, your dad daddy? that's a question that you wouldn't really want to answer well my mom's dad is my dad um right. that would be moab's dad so yeah it's a it's not it's a kind of an ugly allusion to how he was born uh, that he's named by, and right. it says something about the people that came from him that they were born of incest, and uh, and so it's no wonder that this people turned out to be such a heinous group. That's kind of the implication. Not that anybody who would be born of ugly circumstances would necessarily have to have a terrible life. That has nothing to do with that. But it is giving us an idea that, in a sweeping way, um, a way of symbolically talking about. I would just say that. God a bad had a beginning. real good sense of humor. Yes. So yes. when he gives us, as we go through here, we're going to talk about name meanings, about places and their meanings, mm-hmm. the meaning of the name of the cities or the, and you'll just see there's just so much more than is on the surface, and yeah. and it does mean something for us yes. as well. Yes. And I think that another thing about him being fat, and I know we won't have time. It's just that when we see fat individuals mm-hmm. in Scripture, which is not very... I can't think of but one other one, mm-hmm. which was Eli. Mm-hmm. 
but when they're fat, they're usually, it's not a good thing. It's just a fat off of, they're getting fat off of taking their greed, taking taking food from other people, mm-hmm. from their own people sometimes. But in this case, I think the context of them bringing tribute Mm-hmm. to him right now mm-hmm. is that he is getting fat off of his oppression of the Israelites. Yeah, and this is really the kind of tribute they would be giving to the Lord as their king. So these fat men, mm-hmm. Eli too, and Eli, not that Eli's bad in every way. If you read the first of Samuel, he's got some real mm-hmm. issues um, for sure, but he's trying to get his sons to do right. But then he apparently is joining them also in some of their um, spoiling of the people. And so... Uh, and they are taking that which belongs to God and using it for their own gain. And Eli seems to have gotten fat off some of that. And mm-hmm. here, certainly, this is a fat man who's so taking this is what belongs a, to God. This is not just being mean that somebody's About fat. About people being overweight. Nothing yeah. like that. No. This is actually putting this in here because he's fat, because he's oppressing the people. Yes. He is yes. taking all of it for himself. Yes. So, um... Right. An interesting descriptor, I think. Mm-hmm. So verse 18, And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. Um, but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal, it says in verse 19, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So picture all of this happening really quickly. They've given their tribute. Now the delegation has left. They're on their way back. Ehud says, you guys go on without me in whatever way uh, that he may have sent them on ahead. But when they reached Gilgal, the idols at Gilgal, which there should never be idols at Gilgal, we could go all the way back to the very beginning of Joshua and see that Gilgal was a place where the people committed their hearts totally to the Lord and set up a memorial to remind themselves of how they had committed themselves to the Lord. And now there are idols around Gilgal. So surely Ehud would pass this. Uh, place every time he brought tribute and, and maybe and, he didn't get a chance to do what he wanted to do to Eglon the first one they were in there right but when he saw those idols I think he just couldn't stand maybe he said anymore. this is enough yeah maybe That's what it seems like almost yeah so Gilgal of all places um, very you know important this is an important detail for us so if we know our Bibles then we know ooh Gilgal is the place where they where all the people committed their hearts to the Lord and now it's full of idols and this is just like Gina said this is just too much maybe and he just says okay this is uh, I'm going back something's got to be done so he goes back with his secret sword under his thigh and uh, back into the king's presence. And he says, I have a secret message for you, O king. And it says that the king commands silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. Now, why would the king be okay with being left alone mm-hmm. with an Israelite delegate? Exactly. And so we're back to the part where we're thinking he must have had some physical um deformity or a problem that he couldn't, he didn't think that he would be able to hurt him. That's right. Some infirmity that was so obvious that Ehud could look at it in his right hand and say, well, 
Number one, I've known this guy. He's never tried anything against me. Like Gina said, maybe this is a guy who's, who brings regular tribute. He's one of the ones who is part of the delegation that now has become, you know, a regular site for Eklund. He's used to seeing these guys. They've never tried anything. And especially this weakling who has a deformed right arm. Uh, Eglund is not threatened by him. And so uh, when he says he has a C, I got something I can only tell you, King. I can only be in your presence when I tell you. Ehud thinks what could happen. This Eglund. is a guy who can't. Egg, I'm sorry, Eglund thinks what could happen. This is a guy who can't even use his right arm. Uh, and and I know him. And okay, everybody out. This guy's going to tell me. So Ehud's going to tell me something. So then he. Um reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right hand, right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. So it stayed in there. And that last little phrase in 22. Yes, it's lovely. <laughs> and the dung came out. So all the, if you read Hebrews, that Hebrews four, twelve and following, you'll see that the sword goes in and lays lays us bare before God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And the sword has gone in deeply and is showing that Eglon had nothing in him but crap. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, he was worthless inside. Nothing but uncleanness. That's yes. how this would have been seen. Thank and just you for complete saying un- Now go ahead and use a Bible word. <laughs> Gina's right. Um, it is crap. Uh, literally, in every sense, but it's it's he is full of uncleanness. That's all that's in him. When the sword, when the double-edged sword, goes deep within him and stays, it doesn't get pulled out. Once this double-edged sword he's goes in, judged. And stays. Yes, he's being judged, and uh, and there's no chance, no chance that he will come back from this. That sword is going to stay deep within him. Uh, no chance he can get up and when it does go deep within him all that comes out of him is dung so all that comes out of him is uncleanness there was nothing in him worth keeping and remember what did we say his name was his name meant calf and he's fat so what has God just done in judgment of this man it's like he slaughtered a fatted calf. Mm-hmm. It's like he's been sacrificed, as it were, to God. Mm-hmm. Not a wonderful sacrifice by any <laughs> means, but proving that God will do whatever he wants. The fatted calf is slaughtered, and now there will be rejoicing. This is going to lead to some great rejoicing. The fatted calf gets slaughtered is usually followed by rejoicing. Well, it will be, um, for sure. It won't be in Moab, but it certainly will be. In Israel. Uh, and then we get this last part about uh, Ehad leaves. He closes the doors and um, locks them. Mm-hmm. And when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, oh, surely he's just relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. So it probably smelled awful. Yes. And they just thought, okay, well. Okay, he's really having a bad day. Here. We're not yeah. going to. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. They waited until they were uh, embarrassed, and finally they went and found a key and opened the doors, and he was dead on the floor. Mm-hmm. So, it's not really a funny scene, but in one way it's kind of, you know. 
Yeah, but it is a little, it's a little, a little comical. Um, you can't help but laugh a little. I think the Bible wants you to get a smirk on your face sometimes because that's just too, it's too strange not to, not to have a little tickle inside you because this is just weird. It's just weird that the Bible talks about these things. I think we don't really think about that. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... But he has time, but this this also, you know, this mm-hmm. shows us why Ehud has time to escape. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, the, the king's in there, they know the king's in there, but they can smell the dung, and they're thinking, whew, this is a rough day for the king, We'll let's not barge in on him while he's obviously relieving himself. Uh, and this gives time for Ehud to get out of, get out yes. of Dodge, get back so, home. Ehud escaped and um, went past the idols and escaped to... Uh, to Syrah, mm-hmm. and when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and then the people went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. So mm-hmm. here is where they realize, oh, we have a new judge, mm-hmm. we have a new leader, a savior. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting that he sounded the trumpets. For several reasons, but one is just that they're taking back Jericho here. So the trumpet thing again with Jericho. Yeah. Um, but also, of course, when Jesus comes in victory, he's going to, there's going to be a trumpet sound, it says. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that's one of our things that we can go back and see a Jesus thing here. Yeah. Uh, then the people, uh, okay, so they went down, they said he's their leader, and he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, Mm. all strong, able-bodied men. Mm, Direct contrast to what we heard about Ehud, right? Exactly. I think that's we're supposed to get that. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Mm. Um, there's so much here. We won't be able to talk about it all, but um, the victory was already won because he had, t- had taken off, in effect, the head of the Moabites. Yes. He had taken him out. Yes. So now the people just had to come and mop up and take care of the rest of it. Yeah. And um, let's see, 10,000 may have been 10,000 exactly, but probably that about 10,000 is telling us that it was just a complete number. Mm-hmm. It was a yeah. large, complete number. Yeah. They were completely defeated. Right. Yes. Um, now, there's a couple of ways of looking at this um, Ehud thing where he, where he's rallying the people. Some think that Ehud already would have had some standing among the people and would have been able to rally them Um already uh, just by his being known maybe he was a prominent figure who took uh, and that's why he was taking the tribute to Eglon is because he was well known he was a prominent figure he could get the people behind what they needed to do and uh, and so they know him from this so they're going to follow him because they already respect him as a leader Uh, I am really of the other bent probably because I, I do think it would be what the point that seems to be being made in this passage from the very beginning when it tells us that he's a left-handed man is that he doesn't seem like someone that God would use mm-hmm. to do such a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when so, right. So we're not expecting, not only are we not expecting a prominent figure, not only do we not get a prominent 
figure who can rally the people to get him out to fight the enemy. We don't even get a guy who can use his right hand. I mean, we don't have we are, we have somebody who is disabled in his right hand, obviously disabled in his right hand to everybody for the world to see, and yet he not only crafts his own double-edged sword one-handedly, but yeah. then takes it uh, and uses it to defeat this evil king who is oppressing all the people of Israel. So when he returns, and word is already, word spreads quick. When a, when a king is defeated, word spreads fast. So the people hear about this. Ehud rallies them. They know now, hey, that left-handed guy that we send with the gold is the one who killed our oppressor? And so it's a very easy way for him to say, I did it because God allowed me to do it. I did it because God's behind. The people would listen to this. They would respect this. Wow, it has to be God if he's willing, if he could, even this guy can defeat our greatest enemy. It must be God that's doing it. And so they are going to rally behind Ehud because he has been used, obviously, in even his very disabled state, used to defeat their great enemy. And so they yes. rally behind Ehud and go against the Moabites. But um, so isn't this a beautiful picture of yes. what Jesus has done? Jesus is described as one who wasn't somebody we would necessarily look at right or look at as someone great yes uh he's nothing to exactly and he's not esteemed exactly if we go to we we can see that and go to isaiah 53 even it talks about he would nothing about him that would cause us to look at him with any kind of expectation uh nothing about him that really stood out that made him uh someone who we would expect to be our great savior and yet he has the actually made, he is the word. Mm-hmm. He is the sword. He is the sword himself. And, and he speaks the sword. And it comes out of his mouth mm-hmm. and it judges. Judges and exposes what's inside of all of us. Yep, divides bone and marrow. And, exactly. Yep. And he is the one who's going to take out the, the head of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yep. We are the ones Crush who the are to be in the battle of mopping things up. Mm-hmm. And he comes, he's going to come with a trumpet. Yes. He comes in comes victory. With trumpet sound, right? That's right. And he says to us, follow me. Mm-hmm. And let's go take our enemies. And he pushes back the enemies to the other side of the Jordan so mm-hmm. that they can't come over, pass yes. over. Yes. Into the promised land. The Jordan is, is throughout Scripture that dividing division exactly. between those who don't know God and those who are taken into the promised yes. land to know God. And so, like Gina is saying, so right here in verse 28, it says, So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. What's happened here now that Ehud, now that the unexpected savior, if you will, the unexpected savior of Israel has now taken off, like Gina said, the head of the enemy, the the very head of the snake, uh, so to speak, mm-hmm. has been cut off. Now there is mop-up work. Now there is this time of battle. You still have to battle, but you know that the head of your enemy you is cut off. Already, so you can, yes, this battle is won. won. You just need to push back your enemy. So they do. They push back the enemy across the Jordan, and now the only people allowed to enter Jordan 
uh, or to cross the Jordan into the promised land is God's people. They keep out those who aren't God's people. Mm-hmm. So the Jordan becomes that place of crossing over into the promised land, which peace. spiritually throughout scripture it represents. Mm-hmm. So it says they had rest for 80 years. When that happens, we have rest. Yes. We have entered his rest. Yes. And so um, I think there's a lot in this story to go back and see the, the foreshadowing of Jesus here mm-hmm. yeah. in this judge. There are people who think that he had, you know, how could we equate Jesus with an assassin and that he wasn't doing what was right, but I believe he was, and I believe that this was uh, what God intended. Yes. And, and he's telling his story through this event, and yes, as he is always. And so Ehud is a, a great story for us to look at and yes, I do see think what's going on in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. even today. Mm-hmm. We're living here. We're thinking everything's fine, but God is showing us what's going on up on this other level. Yes, and so uh, yes. Anyway, I love this story. I love. And I'll one more say again that once more say again Ehud's name, like Gina said earlier, either means or has connection to words praiseworthy, unity. And one, Mm -hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Shema, which was recited by Jews every day, um, which starts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That word for one is Echad. His name is Ehud, Echad. Um, And so that word may very well be the very root of this word. Um, Even the word unity is caught up in that word one because that word for one, which there were a couple of words that could be used for one uh, in Hebrew, and that word for one means one from plurality, one from plurality. And so Ehud is bringing unity to the people. Ehud is uniting the people under one goal of pushing their enemy out of the land and restoring God's peace. And so that, that again, just takes us straight to what Jesus does for us. Hey, guys, that might have been a little rough for the first time, but um, that's kind of what we want to do. We'll go on to, we may talk a little bit about Shamgar in the beginning next week, but next time, but we'll also mainly focus on Deborah and Barak. Yeah, Deborah and Barak. That's what's coming. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope you're having a terrific day. I hope this helps you a little bit. Judges, it's going to be fun, and we will talk to you again very soon.